Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 43 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Today, I'm happy to introduce a special guest episode with Dr. Christian Mickelberger, a retired physician, psychoanalyst, and past spiritual speaker who currently mentors seekers in their quest to awaken. I say past spiritual speaker because as you will hear more in the, the episode, um, she does not consider herself a spiritual seeker anymore. She considers herself someone who... Uh, as she says, did the work. Um, so Christiane guides people using a direct pointing process uh, developed by Satyadana Kevin Shanilik. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, where they, where you apply uh, that direct pointing or inquisition through dialogue process applied to the ten fetters as taught by the Buddha. Christian talks about how more than 10,000 hours of meditation and 40 years of studying Buddhist scriptures didn't help her deal with debilitating fear when she was faced with the reality of breast cancer. She goes on to say that she actually um, later faced uh, uterine cancer and did not have that um debilitating fear response because it was after her uh, coming to this method. She discovered the website Liberation Unleashed and the book The Gateless Gate Crashers about the time she was uh, beginning treatment for her breast cancer. And that was her first personal first step in facing that all her previous seeking was a form of spiritual sleepwalking where you replace one illusion of the world or one illusion of your own awakening for another. Christian is currently working on a book called Finding Awakening to share what she says is her, quote, no-nonsense journey beyond the self to peace and freedom end quote. And her quote, mission is to put an end to all suffering, unquote. I really enjoyed our conversation, as you will notice with our persistent giggles and the longer length of the episode. Christian is a delightful conversation partner who shares important concepts for your own self-reflection that can be taken up by an everyday practitioner. Concepts like the importance of seeing through the me or anatta, no self, uh, embracing the ordinary, why meditation alone may not be enough, and shifting from spiritual illusions to simple reality. Before we jump right in, I have a couple of caveats to share, however. Usually when I have guests on the podcast, I have direct experience with either their teaching or their books or both. So when I have them on as guests, uh, it is a subtle or not so subtle endorsement 
of who they are as teachers, people, and authors. With Dr. Christiane Mickelberger, her appearance on this show is not a form of endorsement for the method she uses in mentoring because I have no direct experience with it. I offer the conversation, though, because her story has value due to the examination of anatta, or no-self, and shunyata, emptiness. We engage with those conversation with this with those concepts quite a bit in the conversation, and if in the conversation it sounds as if Christiane suggests that in working through the ten fetters has an end result or promise of no pain, no anxiety, etc. Let me remind you that this is a report of Christiane's personal experience with her own spiritual practice and her experience with those of the people she guides. And it has nothing I have direct knowledge of, so I cannot endorse it. Uh, On another note, it's lawn mowing season, so you may enjoy a bit of background lawn mowing sound. But enough of the intro. On with our wide-ranging conversation that touches on so many important topics in the application of Buddhist teachings to your life spiritual bypassing, brainwashing and guru worship, and dealing with the stages of grief we might be going through during the new pandemic world we find ourselves in. On with the episode. So welcome, Christiane. I've been looking forward to this uh, podcast for quite a while. Um, I feel actually it's kind of exciting that it's in... uh, during the pandemic, I think we have, uh, I would like to talk to you about that a little bit today, um, because I think it can be really helpful, um, offering different approaches on how to maneuver that um, in not just uh, in your day-to-day activities, but uh, how to handle the stuff that comes up in your mind. And I think you can can speak to that. Um, the other thing um, I, uh, I'd like to talk to you about is um, all your approaches of teaching, or I think you call it uh, guiding instead of teaching, right? Is that true? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the approaches of guiding people uh, down your particular path, which happens to be um, uh, unlatching, unleashing, uh, disconnecting from the 10 fetters, which for my audience, this is a much more of a Theravadan approach than what you're used to on my podcast. I take a more Mahayana approach. So where I would be talking about the Prajna Paramita and the uh, tr- you know, transcendent perfection. Um, Christian's going to talk in a different way, but we're all, I think, getting at the same point of view from the Buddhist teachings. Um, so, Christian, again, welcome. Um, I'm so glad you could make it, I guess, but making it is kind of an interesting term since we're all still stuck in our home and it's not like we have to go anywhere to make it. <laughs> but but um, so, without any further yapping on my part, um, let's start by you telling us a little bit about your relationship with Buddhism and um, uh, how you went from being a physician and a psychotherapist to a seeker to a guide. 
First of all, thank you so much for having me, Wendy. It's delightful to talk with you. I really love it. So how did it all start? It started on a night shift as an intern uh, when I had just finished my medical studies. I was in the surgery department at that time. And so at like 8 p.m., the phone rang and the receptionist announced that the ambulance would bring a severely injured motorbiker. Mm -hmm. And since that was far beyond my scope um, of dealing with patients, I called everybody together in, in the emergency room. And so we were standing there waiting for this motorbiker to come. And when he came, he was already dead. Didn't do anything wow. for him. So the next thing um, you have to do as a doctor, you have to find out who this is. And so we searched all his motor jacket pockets and I found the ID and I looked at it and he was born exactly in the year I was born. I was 26 at that point. And I thought, gosh, I drive that road every day. I could have been dead too and then was kind of like i was realizing for the first time in my life that death is not actually an always existing probability but an upcoming reality yeah and the thought just came up gosh and i don't really even know who i am and that thought set me on a tangent. I didn't know what to do with it, but it was like, I don't know who I am. And that's the most important thing to find out. All right. Um, I had heard a bit about Buddhism in school. Actually, I even wrote a paper about it because I found it interesting, but I hadn't engaged with that at all afterwards. And so I didn't know what to do. I told my husband at home, and um, the next week, when I was on another weekend again, when I came home afterwards, he said, hey, there is an announcement in the newspaper. There is an introduction into meditation. Maybe you want to do that. And I thought, hmm, Zen, introduction into Zen. <laughs> I had no idea what Zen was, but it was something Buddhist. And I thought, well, maybe. Um, that is probably the most um, well-known figure who was enlightened. And so I thought, yeah, I'll go there. And so I went for this weekend. <laughs> and since then, for decades, I didn't stop meditating every day. And I went on retreats and I worked with Professor Nagaya Roshi. Maybe you know him still. Uh -huh. No, of him, yes. I yes, him, he but. was then already like 84, uh, well, in mm -hmm. his 80s anyway. Mm -hmm. But he was very agile and very bright. And he spoke a bit of German because he had studied philosophy in Germany at the beginning of the 20th century. And so I worked with him and was that a German disciple of him. And I really badly wanted to get enlightened and in the meantime like when you meditate so strongly and so um, dedicated 
something is bound to happen, I think. Anyway, I had some beautiful insights and mm -hmm. I thought, ah, great, I'm on the right track. I just have to intensify that. And so I wanted to go in a Japanese a monastery. <laughs> and uh, there was only one at that point. I don't remember the name right now, but I wrote there and said, I would like to come to you and study. <laughs> and I got a German reply because a Benedictine monk was in the monastery at that point of time. And he replied to me, telling me all about what this was and how difficult it would be to get an, a visa for staying longer. And basically saying, don't do it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go to uh, at least 12 sessions in a year in Germany first. So yeah, you kind yeah. of get what you're getting yourself into here. Well, that was pretty good advice, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, he later became a Zen master. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so um, that was the start of it all. Interesting, interesting, uh, the, the Zen part of it. And and um, I, uh, I'll share that I've done research on you because you mm -hmm. gave you gave me and your publicity person gave me the links to everywhere. Um, and, and I, I like to get to know my guests a little bit. So I, I heard a bit of your interview from a couple years ago, um, mm -hmm. uh, with the, uh, the Irish, uh, host, I forget his name now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, it was interesting. Number one, it was uh, just a little aside. It was fun to hear the, the two accents. For me, I, I like accents. I, I like accents. I like to to listen to them, and um, you know his his Irish accent is a little different, and and uh, so it was nice to hear that. It was it was musical for me to to listen to that interview. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, but then the other thing that I picked up on was that, um, and there's a couple things, and and I'm trying to decide where to start. But I think I'll start at this, and then we'll go to the other thing. The other thing is about death. Um, because you talked about that, you talked about that today, and I think that will lead into our p pandemic discussion. But um, one of the things you said in that interview was that is is that when you be is that at that point, you know, at the time of that motorcycle accident, you became a seeker, and and seeking was essentially your driver, your goal, right? And you like you just said now, you so wanted to get enlightened. I think that's a particularly um, that's something I think many people can relate to more today, even than like 10 years ago with all these self-proclaimed gurus. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but, um, you know, like Eckhart Tolle and, um, Adi Ashanti and you know, so many people talk about being awake, being enlightened. And I think it, uh, I have mixed feelings about all that to be, to, mm -hmm. to tell you the truth, I, I feel that it it, it um, creates a goal-driven uh, expectation of what the spiritual path is all about. When when es when essentially it's not the the goal is not the goal is the path, as they say. Um, so this goal of being enlightenment enlightened whatever that is, and that's another thing I would like to talk about, um, is, is I think 
it disturbs me because I think it 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 sets beginning Buddhists or beginning spiritual practice practitioners up going down the wrong path. And you freely admitted on your this show that I listened to that that's exactly what happened to you. Yeah, um, you, you're, you're you went. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you identify. You put that, like I talk about in my book, Everyday Buddhism. You, you put that label on your chest and you wore it proudly, right? I am a seeker, and because I am a seeker, I will seek everything, whatever. And um, I hope this doesn't bother you, but you shared with him that you actually um, hung out with Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, mm-hmm. and if anybody's been around. Many, no, many of my podcast listeners are much younger than me, so I'm, I'm I like you. I've studied Buddhism for forty years, so I'm no baby, and I know Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and I remember the the sort of hold he had on the Western media. I, mm-hmm. it, it was amazing to me, um, and his big car and his all that stuff, and you know, clearly he was a, I won't say fraud, but um, maybe I. I don't know how to say that. It might not be a fraud. I don't have any idea idea where his uh, mind was, but I know he led a lot of people down the wrong path, as many gurus and teachers do sometimes. So you got yourself interested in that, and you got, but then you unleashed yourself, Mm -hmm. and then that took you back to um, maybe I should meditate. Meditate again. I don't know whether I'm going to meditate. So, so. What was the, what was the thing that I know it was the seeking that made you start again, but um, where did where was your what was your goal? Where did you think you were going to go after Bagran Sri Westernese? Was it going to be I give up on the whole thing, or was it still the goal of enlightenment? Well, the goal of awakening never changed, but at that point, I mean, what I watched was turning the turning of a new religious movement into a cult. It was a cult. I can't judge uh, Bhagwan's mind where he was at. That's not in my, I can't do that. But whatever happened within this organization, it turned into a cult. And um, when I went away, I had this particular situation that, so um, it happened to many people and uh, I think many people who meditate will know this, that whenever we had a huge meditation hall, I would think it fit 10,000 people. Wow. And just sitting there with with Bhagwan, not saying anything, I like that best. Um, (laughs) Led me just into, I was just as usual watching my breath and led me into really beautiful spaces. Um, even into unlimited consciousness, unlimited space. And it was sold as being in one space with Bhagwan. And when I found out all the stuff that had happened there, um, even before I had the time to leave, I decided that I didn't want to be in the space, in the same space with this guy any longer. And, but anytime I would just sit down, this, feelings would start up again just focusing on my breath for like five seconds and i hated it i didn't want it any longer and so i just got are you referring to like the jhanas yes uh, meditative states exactly and but i didn't know that word 
I didn't know that okay. such a thing exists at all. I hadn't studied anything. I had done Zen, and as you know, they don't speak much. <laughs> so, no, no, they don't speak much. <laughs> and, uh, so sit down, right? <laughs> Still, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, in the end, I just and I stopped meditating altogether because I, I this space just started opening again and again, and I still thought it's a link to Bhagwan, and I didn't want that. Ah, so it was a di distinct connection in your mind to him, right? Rather than just to the state, right? Of meditation, right? And uh, so um, I stopped meditating, and that led me into a really dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. I was so depressed and suicidal. I always thought not killing myself is the most somebody can ask from me in this lifetime. Mm. It was like even breathing was hard. It was as if I was breathing some liquid, mm. like gel, and it was such so much work to breathe. It was horrible. Mm. And it lasted for like two years. Wow. Yeah. And then I went into psychotherapy, which really helped. And I can only was this before you became a psychotherapist yes. yourself? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I can only recommend it. If anybody ends up in a dark night of the soul, do something about it. Every psychotherapist can help with this, even if they don't get what spirituality is. Mm. And uh, so, and then I started to, to a training to become a psychotherapist myself. As a physician, I had been an anesthesiologist up to that point. Mm -hmm. And... I went to a conference that was a yearly conference and they always had this kind of eclectic people joining. And there was this Buddhist Theravada nun, uh, Venerable Ayakema, maybe you heard of her? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And she talked in the opera house about the jhanas. And I thought, let's just listen to it. I had no idea what that meant. And then she explained all that. And I thought, I know that. And I've then there. <laughs> and then I was really angry because I felt spiritually abused, made dependent on a person when it had nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Bhagwan was very, very literate. He had read so much. I'm pretty sure he read about that as well. And I mean, he has come across this somehow and using it um, for creating this dependence on a person is, is abuse in my view. Oh, abso absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 and in so many ways, I mean, not to go down too far, another rabbit hole is, is the, you know, this happens a lot in spiritual communities um the problem is is if there is a a situation of of hierarchy or power which it which tends to be when it's inherited from um cultures and traditions like <laughs> zen buddhism tibetan buddhism you know so forth um i studied tibetan buddhism that was where i was mm -hmm. my had my 
first first had my groundings. Um, I read a lot of Zen, but Tibetan Buddhism is where I did my main teaching and practice. But um, you know, there's so much, and and it's it's natural. It's a natural uh, out outpouring or a natural uh, aspect of that sort of hierarchical system, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm pleased to see, though, that um, Buddhism has, has a new life mm-hmm. in the West, mm-hmm. um, a, 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 a new life, and people are exploring it on their own. It can lead to um, supermarket syndrome where we have a little of this and a little of that and a little of this, and then nobody goes anywhere and nobody right. stays on any path and they get nowhere. And, uh, um, it can lead to that. But, but at the same time, I think there's so much potential mm-hmm. in that as evidenced by just you and me talking mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, of course I'm a totally opponent of this, uh, personal cult thing. Yeah, and yesterday I opened a discussion on my profile, my personal profile about it, because there was a very, very funny video by Dan McHughey, one of the people who makes really good non-dual jokes, and mm-hmm. uh, like I need a spiritual fix, Kongchi, new video, no, Adyashanti, no new video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I call the airline. I need I need a flight to to uh, um, you know this place where Ramana lived, and I said no, we don't know. You don't know. Well, anyway, book me a flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it the the it's it's and I think that's that's natural human behavior too. It's that <laughs> it's that that it's that con- connection to the person. Rather than the teachings, the right. Buddha, Buddha said it's the teachings, not the teacher. Right. You know, I mean, his last sermon, his death sermon, was you know, mm-hmm. go be a lamp unto yourself. Mm-hmm. I gave you everything I need. I'm out of here. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need any more. I got. I gave it all to you. And and uh, you know, I I don't. I think people do naturally cling to people as teachers and I think they see them as something like non-human, like superhuman. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think uh, that's what I love to share when I do my podcast or I do my sanghas in my groups. So I always love to share all the stupid things I did that day mm-hmm. or this week because, <laughs> because I want them to know just because I'm teaching Buddhism doesn't mean I'm anywhere near any kind of perfect state. Right. <laughs> no, not at what does perfection mean? I mean, it, it doesn't have a place in that. Um, right. So I interrupted your story. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I, don't well, I made really a point in we that were. post that if they want to gas up, fill up that tank yeah. with some positive energy, please don't come to me because I'm going to empty you. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. And now, I'm going to try to finish up your sort of history and how mm-hmm. you got to what what you're teaching now and then uh, we'll branch off on a few topics so you um you you hit the dark night of the soul and then how the heck did you get out of that other than psychotherapy i mean how did you get back on a spiritual path um well i connected uh, to the man who had written me from the to me from the japanese zen monastery Monastery. he was uh-huh. now an, uh, an accredited teacher and master and uh so 
I just went with him and since he was a Benedictine monk, he also had a Christian mystic school. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the combination. Yeah. So I went to both classes and, uh, and they were basically the same, but I studied the organ and I always had a job, a side job in the church. In Germany, oh. you study it and you really get a job there. You get um, hired by the church. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I love, I love church organ music. Yeah. I, I, I personally, it's a very moving experience. It is. And I would sometimes sit up there on my bench and think, you know, when the readings came, wow, this is pure Zen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What I'm in, I study uh, the the contemplatives, the the Christian mystics, right. just just as much as I study any Buddhist philosophy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just uh, beautiful stuff. And I still listen to Christian mystical podcasts, yes. and like or and like Richard Rohr and. Um, uh, uh there's there's another one that i love too so yeah exactly i there's not much difference i think whenever they get out of the the not whatever they get out into the non-dual space um you can't recognize which is which right 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 exactly so this is what i did um and it was all all right and yes i had deep insights again and that led me to becoming a teacher but somehow I just didn't feel right to use it. And so fast forward um, uh, to 40 years since the beginning. Okay. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Death mm. has been my friend, my beloved friend. Yes. And I freaked out big time. I freaked mm. out so much. I couldn't believe it. By that time I was a psychoanalyst. And I knew all the tools you could use to get out of the freak out. Nothing worked. Mm, mm. And telling myself that it's not me, not, not mine and not myself, this body wouldn't really cut it either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. When you're looking, you know, it's the, it's the, it's sort of like a, a Buddhist take on there are no atheists in foxholes. Right. right? <laughs> You know that one, yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, no, yeah. That's that. That was a, a a comment I've heard even since childhood, and I get that. I mean, when you're facing death, your own death, mm -hmm. which is wholly different than facing everyone else's, oh, yes. um, is which is what the Buddha taught too that we should contemplate this every single day. Mm -hmm. um, when we're facing that, your own death. I mean, that 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 fear, that no escape, that 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 sense of running but nowhere to run is uh yeah it's it's mm -hmm. tough and that's why there are no atheists in voxels <laughs> <laughs> like that one may i steal it <laughs> yeah it's not mine i i mean i i've heard it since i was a kid i don't know where it came from but i think the army probably <laughs> right <laughs> so um and I didn't know what to do. I, I thought, okay, I really felt like I was spiritually sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. And all this exotic seeker identity of meditating to the sounds of monkeys screaming in the trees and I don't know what, was everything was just, where did it lead me? Nowhere. Mm. And I thought, okay, 
and this has to end. And it was, I was still in the hospital at that point. It was as if I turned my back on this identity. It was a nearly physical feeling. And it was clear, and now I had to find. I didn't know how much time I had. Like the stage wasn't clear yet. The histology hadn't come back. And so, and I didn't know what to do. I had exhausted mm. all the means known to me. And so, well, I didn't do anything first. And then, uh, because I already had a website about Buddhism, I also had a Facebook page. And a friend of mine had liked a blog post about that the body is not ready for awakening. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Have a look at it. And in that blog post was a link to a platform on the internet where volunteers guide seekers uh, to see that there is no me thinking, deciding, acting, controlling anything. And I thought, hmm. You mean you're referring to Liberation Unleashed? Right, Liberation yes. Unleashed, right. And so I thought, okay. Hmm. I wonder whether there's anything behind it. So I started reading, um, you can read the archive there. And I started reading the archive and it was very interesting. It was this dialogue with little experiments and questions. And then always came this point when uh, the client saw something and then I couldn't follow any longer. And it really took on the beauty of a Zen poem, what they said, and I didn't mm -hmm. understand a word. And so sure. I said, all right, something is happening there. And then I thought, hmm, what if really something happens there? Is this really what I want? Mm -hmm. A, and then all the questions then came up. Can I still function? What about my relationship? What about my friends? Um, uh, you mean uh, you mean the questions led you to that those questions what about my well that was my fear if i would see that there is no me how would i be able to function? oh yeah it's sort of that i think a lot of people come through that it's that uh it's that i think it's a confusing a confusion of no self equals no me well it does let, in my view it does equal no me well, it, it, it's I, I always refer to it as no self as such. Um, it's conceptual. I mean, we're here and, you know, I've, we've got a body and, you know, I'm, I can't walk through that wall no matter how much I want to. I, I, have to. I have to acknowledge the fact that I probably have to open the door first or open the window, um, you know. Um, you know, that, that the concept of anatta is, uh, or no self, this concept of no self is, is a toughie. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it is no me as the me we, the, the me that we uh, conceptualize ourselves as because of the aggregates, the five aggregates, right? right? For example. Right. Yeah, you could uh, term it like that. And, but still, um, I didn't know that. I felt this me <laughs> right. felt pretty solid. And mm -hmm. it felt like losing it, you know, and they ha always have this example that it's like seeing that Santa doesn't exist, right? Right. Because right. <laughs> um, Santa's a concept. Right. Right. But I thought, yeah, that sounds all nice, but what happens then? And uh, uh, then I thought, okay, 
I truly have done weirdest stuff in my life. And I always fell on my feet. So if anything happens here, I'll fall on my feet again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I was, um, during the next weeks, my radiation would start. And the condition to do this guiding there on the liberation platform is to reply each day. And I didn't know uh, how much I would be affected by the radiation then. And so I thought, that's not a good idea. Maybe I can't do that. And there was a book with dialogues, just I don't know how many. And it's called The Gateless Gate Crashers. And yes, I've, I've read that book, The yeah. Gateless Gate Crashers. Yeah. So, and I would, I would recommend it to people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a good it's a good way to get your feet wet in the playing around in the pool of no self, right? <laughs> you get your feet pretty wet with that. <laughs> if you but no, you have to have a commitment to it. Yeah. I mean, you could read those dialogues sure. and just like reading and saying, you know what I mean, you and yeah. not engaging at this it's like it's like facing your own death, you know, if, if you don't really engage in facing your your lack of self. Um then it won't help you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, um, so I used this book. I didn't really feel like facing that there is no self. It, well, for me, it was more like I was sitting in waiting areas all the time with this book because, you know, yeah. there was that doctor that wanted to talk to you and yeah. that doctor. And, <laughs> and it was so fascinating. I thought n- n- never, never have I come across so beautiful questions that really let you look for this me it doesn't say there is no me you can say that you can believe it but that doesn't change a thing right right and but it just lets you look for it and so i had boiled it down i was around page 20 i had boiled it down to okay this is like a, you know a virus that attaches itself to all computer files Mm-hmm. And you know, there is seeing, okay, I have seen. There is hearing, I have heard. There is talking, right. I talked. Exactly, exactly. And exactly. then there was a question that uh, the guide asked that I read So, is there any you, a you in any physical form or shape? And I thought, oh, what a silly question, of course not. And thinking well, there, that yeah. the shift happened. Yeah. So like you, you reading the book, it wasn't actually working with well, a guy. Well, I that asked liber- myself the questions. I worked with it. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. It was just from um, working with that book. Mm-hmm. That That's a, that's a fascinating thing. And I, at that point, I think I would want to talk a little bit about this. I am this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think cultural, um, uh, aspects have a big diff, uh, have a lot of difference in this approach to I am. I think it's much easier for people from uh, the East to not be attached because there, this, this conceptualization, this constant thinking, this, this building up of a person that lives in our head. Right. Um, and, and we're so solidly focused right there in our head. Um, and and uh, that that's I think it's our heritage as Western thinkers. We were given that it's our philosophy. You know, I was thinking this morning and in, in, in thinking about talking with you. Um, I am is like uh, 
it's like the the declaration of western philosophy i mean from descartes right uh i think therefore i am right <laughs> um and then we have in the bible in exodus uh moses in his interaction with god says to uh god well when you send me then they ask me who sent me well what name should i give them and he said uh i am who i am or i am that i am mm -hmm. right so there's that pronouncement of i am that i am right so there's that i am that i am so that it, there's that back door i feel that gets to anata but we're not going to go there um but even popeye the cartoon character do you know popeye no, i don't I know if that was in it, that was in germany yeah. in, in the united states there was um popeye was a sailor popeye the sailor man oh you but the know? spinach he, man the spinach man oh, that's right <laughs> yeah popeye said i am that i am Mm -hmm. He said that all the time. I am that I am. Mm -hmm. So I always thought there was some somebody in writing dialogue for Popeye that was a philosopher or something, <laughs> right? Or or but but what I what I think though is that there is this strong uh Western philosophical foundation that is tightly tied to the I amness of I am. And it even is from the Hebrew, they even term that God as Yahweh using uh, vowels, consonants with no vowels. Mm -hmm. So you can't pronounce it, right? <laughs> it's so, it, so it's, it's God can't be pronounced. Mm -hmm. God can't be conceptualized. Um, and that in some ways is the breaking of the conceptual nature of the I amness in the West. What have you found in working with people from the Eastern approach with the Western approach? I think Westerners are, are, you know, you almost have to blow up their mind to get rid of their concepts. Easterners seem to get there faster. What is your thought? I would such a, um, say, yes, that's true. I did work with Indians. Mm -hmm. And I know one guy, I chatted with him in a group, and he saw through the self-illusion within an hour. Yeah. I just asked him, just have a look. And he knew exactly what to do. They don't conceptualize that much to the day. It's true. Right. And there's even some research. Unfortunately, I Marie Kondo that book. I don't have it any longer. But there is a research about that. Um, Indians have a more direct experience. And it's not first processed with thoughts and then kind of acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like sort of a uh they're almost like naturally um vipassana practitioners right <laughs> even if they didn't know what that was right i mean it seems that way and and uh and and uh, you know i i had a book too about how uh i forgot the name of it too easterners and westerners looked at different things like different shapes and different uh pictures and they saw it and saw it entirely different like it, um, like the Japanese culture is so community oriented, mm -hmm. so that interdependence is not a concept that they have a problem with, right? Mm -hmm. At all, mm -hmm. um, we do because we're in America, especially we're like 
cowboys, right? We're, we'll do it all. We don't need anybody else. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's, you know what I mean? I see. Yeah. So they, the more Easterners are more naturally aligned to this kind of processing. So you got, you got your, what happened is it, it was, so you put it on the, the pro the liberation unleashed process or the gateless gate crashers book. It, it all started there for you to have this sense of, going through an awakening experience, right? Yes. I mean, it was, I saw immediately, I had a strong, also a physical shift, that there is no me. It can be seen positively, um, not only as something that's not there, but it can be seen. And I immediately realized which mistake I had made. And why I hadn't seen that before. It's just in front of our eyes. It's not hidden. It's hidden in plain sight. And that's why it's so well hidden. And uh, uh, that was very fascinating. And they say that when you see through the me, you fall through all fetters usually. And that happened to mostly everybody. And it happened to me too. So that was really this kind of very different experience for a few days. And um, then it slowly reverted back. And But the sense, the identification was the thought, I was just totally gone. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even remember after a few days how that had felt. It was just gone, like deleted from my hard mm-hmm. drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the process is similar. Um, my personal practice, like I said, I came from a Tibetan mm-hmm. tradition and then I shifted into this uh, uh, non-sectarian uh, Japanese when I was inducted as a minister and a sensei, I shifted into this Japanese um, Mahayana. It's like Zen and um, uh, Jodo Shinshu, which you may not know about. It's Mm -hmm. a very, it's less known, I think, Mm -hmm. in this culture. Um, And, you know, my practice is more like that, which is why I focus on the everyday aspect of Mm -hmm. Buddhism, because I think none of this means a crap really if we if we're not dealing with it every day i i don't care how awakened you may feel but if you're not bringing it into your every day then it's it's uh it's not really helpful for you or anyone else so that's sort of the approach i take but my my meditative practice has shifted i find and i think i heard you say this in one of the things um one of the videos is is you know we make now mindfulness is like the rage, right? <clears throat> mindfulness is good and it helps build concentration. And I, I personally think you couldn't get where you were without having that originally. Yes, I, think I couldn't so too. get to, right? I mean, that's your foundation. Mm-hmm. You may not need it now, but you did need it to get mm-hmm. to where you were. It's like my, my teacher, my sensei says, um, uh, it, it takes, uh, in in Jodo Shinsu, there's two concepts that call them self power and other power. Zen is a self power practice. It's like I'm going to sit here mm-hmm. until I'm enlightened, right? You're right. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to do that. And uh, and uh, other power in the Jodo Shinsu tradition is this concept. It's most people. Um, a lot of people get it confused with the sense of God or a savior, and it's not that at all. Uh, in my estimation, there are some 
fundamentalists who think that way, but it's, I don't think that way. It's more of a connection to everything that is life as it is. Um, Shunyata, it's a, uh, and dependent origination and all the things that the Buddha taught. It's a direct connection to that, but it's a, you have to, you have to be it. You know, like you said, the eye has to disappear for you to be it. Right. You well, can't. I, if, there, it's not a two-step process uh, in what I do. Um, the moment it is seen, it's gone. It doesn't have to be embodied or whatever that means. Or, to be practiced in everyday life it's just gone you're just now that that's the new normal well exactly and that's mm -hmm. what i was i yeah i think maybe i miscommunicated yeah, and that's what i'm saying well people who haven't seen that directly maybe are are trying to see it but i think you can see it in everyday life as well i guess what i was getting at is you don't have to necessarily sit down on that cushion um, no, you don't. Two, three to. hours a day. Because as you glimpse it from reading a book, I had my feeling by just doing an open awareness practice, mm -hmm. you know, just mm -hmm. just open awareness is, is, you know, blasting myself out of my head and into everything that is. And once you do that, it's wowie zowie time because you, you're, that's where you are, right? That's where you are. Um, and you're always there, but you're, I don't always connect at that level. I must say, I, I go back to sometimes connecting in a normal way, but I'm able to shift into that pretty much at mm -hmm. any time. Cause once you see that, you see that. So this is sort of like, isn't it sort of like, um, all the self inquiry methods that, were formed from meditative traditions like the uh, Neo Veda, the Vedanta, you know, the, the ones that came from the Hindu self inquiry mm -hmm. traditions that I think Adi Ashante follows. And then now there's like Locke Kelly. I don't know if you have heard I've of Locke Kelly. Him, or, yes. Yeah. Locke Kelly does um, what he, I think he calls it. What does he call it? Um, awake awareness or something. But since I come from the Tibetan tradition, this direct pointing that you talk about, this is what we call direct pointing mm -hmm. into the right. Tibetan it's tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that comes, that comes to me from the Dzogchen tradition of, of Tibetan Buddhism or the Sutra Mahamudra tradition. And what they do is they work with a guide or a Lama in this case to do direct pointing that looking for the self. Well, actually, it's much older. Um, it's it's the Vedanta, I think. It comes from that. The, 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 I'm, not, the yeah, I'm not familiar with Vedanta, really. But I know that the Buddha gave his shortest instruction once when he was approached uh, on his arm rounds and he didn't really have time. And he, <laughs> it, it's very famous, the Bahia Sutta. And, oh, yes, yes, yes. And he said then by here you should train yourself thus in reference to the scene there will only be the scene and in reference right. to the hurt the hurt and to the sense the sense and the cognizance or the thought the thought thus should you train yourself and when there will be only the scene in reference to the scene and everything else then there is no you in connection with that and when there is no you in connection with that there is no you there when there is no you there, you are neither here nor yonder nor between the two. This justice is the end of suffering. 
Amen yeah. and hallelujah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh and that if you have had that experience, it makes perfect sense to you Absolutely. in a way that's not conceptual because now you, you're very comfortable with just not I am seeing, just it's seeing that's or seeing. not I am walking, it's there's walking, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> there's there's walking and um um, it's not in, and I had, I had a very profound experience once many years ago, I think when I was first studying this, and this sounds really ridiculous, but I, I think, um, I was watching my dog at the time who's long since passed chew a chew, like a chew toy, right? It was actually a, a physical chew, a piece of raw hide. And she was chewing away and I was watching her chew away and all of a sudden, um there was no me there was no dog there was we were chewing mm -hmm. we were chewing <laughs> and it and, and i was like i you know it's one of those things if you have those experiences like you i was like calling my partner over and trying to explain it it made no absolutely no sense coming out of my mouth mm -hmm. but it's it's see it's still with me and i think i was like 30 years old at the mm -hmm. time and I'm 67 now. So, you know, you cannot, you cannot trade that in, but the, the Buddha had it clearly. The Buddha absolutely had it. It's the same as in the heart sutra, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you study the heart. Oh, sutra. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching that now in one of my sanghas. It's, it's my, I, I am very tied to the, uh, uh, the, the Prashna Paramita Sutras and, and the Heart Sutra to me is what the Buddha said there. Mm -hmm. Right? Isn't it that that's the case? Um, what he said in the Sutra you just quoted? In the Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's literally true. It's really literally true. That often blew my mind. Like um, <laughs> there, there are more steps in this path, seven altogether. And where you come to see, for example, that there is no world outside that is mirrored and perceived, but that that is the end of the world, really. And yeah, and then I remembered that he somewhere had taught that it is in this uh, frame uh, um, of the body with its senses that the world arises. Right. And I thought, gosh, this is literally true. I always thought this is some poetic expression for something. But that actually so much is absolutely literally true blew me away. Yeah, see, and, you know, well, you studied Zen, I think, well, did you study in the Soto tra tradition? Or? Yes, Soto tradition. Yeah. So um, in the Rinzai tradition, they use Cohen study mm -hmm. more more than in the Soto tradition, mm -hmm. and it's typical. Um, Cohen's take you there, but most people see them as poems or puzzles to solve. Mm -hmm. But they take you to that direct realization. If you're, that's where the gateless gate came, yes. right? That's right. from from that. Um, uh, but um, I wanted to to kind of talk to you about what what you know these things kind of happen if, if you, if you're dedicated and you do it and, but your approach is like, you're actually, I don't mean grabbing them, but I, this, the, you're, you're taking them by the hand and you're asking them questions and you're pulling them along 
the path to, in your case, the 10 fetters, which we should probably mention what they are. Um, uh, and and it's like te teachers have been trying to do this for a long time. And you study with so many teachers and it never happened for you. How can this dialogue make it happen? Well, the key are the questions. Uh, one client of mine who recently uh, passed through Alten Feta, she said, um, the questions are really what made it and I don't have those questions in me. And that's the thing. We, okay. we can't think of this kind of questions from a frame of mind that's somewhere else. The questions can only come when something is seen through and then it's very simple to ask these questions. And does, in your experience in working with clients, do you work primarily with Liberation Unleashed or? No. It seems like you have your own practice. Is right. Um, Liberation Unleashed only deals with the first step. Mm -hmm. And they want to stay specialized on that. I started to guide in the second step, which is our desire and oval. Um, but I think it's a good decision that they said, no, that we want to specialize and stay specialized on the mm -hmm. self-illusion. And so I just started my own forum, which is private, so it can't be Googled. But I have a website and I'm pretty active on Facebook too. And... Um, uh, I learned to guide on Liberation Unleashed. Ilona is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I learned a lot from her. Overall, I'm standing on many shoulders. This is not my merit right. that happened at all. And uh, so um, I really owe her a lot. And what um, over time makes it difficult for me, for example, to guide in the first fit, that it is so far away that I can't relate to it any longer. And then I can't come up with the proper questions. So what are you saying? Are you saying you can't do it anymore? Or are you well, going, I, are doing like it differently? I lost my teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still can do it, but I now select people. Um, like for example, I, I meet with them before I take them uh, online. And then I only work online, by the way. And then um, if they haven't seen through the self-illusion yet, um, then I'll just give them a few little experiments, like um, lift your hand up with the palm facing up, then turn it, turn it again, keep turning, watch like a hawk. What's doing that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, in their reaction, I can see whether they can grasp that. They, yes, they and if, can, you're, if, you're do, if you're doing it video-wise, you can always see when the light bulb goes right, off, right? right yeah, I do it by, uh, by a video. With audio, I'm, uh, I can't see enough. And, yeah. um, and when they uh, kind of get that, whoo, things are not as I thought they are, I take them. If they just keep turning and say, yeah, I think yeah, something's turning it, I don't take them because I can't take them deeply enough out of thoughts for, to work with me. They need to already be able to come out of thoughts. Right. Yeah. If they're too, they're hard, if their concepts are too hardwired, they're yes. going to stay there. Yes. Exactly. Right. Now, um, my audience has probably never, ever heard of the 10 feathers mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a long thing. And um, uh, if you could briefly run over the, 
10 run down the 10 fetters and what that actually means and that and how that's you know that's sort of like the foundation of your practice i'm guessing mm -hmm. rather and you know you're really getting at the disconnection from self which is the first fetter right and but you you kind of go backwards from what i understand i'm not a, a Theravadin student at all, but um, that's my understanding of it. So, if you could explain that a little bit, what that all means, and you know, and and why, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> why? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, happily, um, it's a process that can actually be watched when unraveling all the layers again. So, um, the self is created through many layers, ten layers. That's the ten fetters, and mm -hmm. I will explain it the way it develops because that way it can be most easily understood so the first layer um, we are born unfettered we are born unfettered but with tendencies like one of our tendencies is that we want to feel good just watch a baby yeah. we just want to feel good right. and um these tendencies start to simply overrun the facts and look, and that's the first, the tenth fetter, first fetter that develops the tenth, that is dissolved last then. Um, and it's what ignorance. is the what is the tenth fetter? Ignorance. What, what is it? It's called ignorant. ignorance. We are ignoring the facts that we yeah, can't that's... always feel good. Sorry to break the news. It's just not possible. As long right, as we right. have the body and senses, the, right, it's right to always feel good. And uh, that we, to always feel good, we must have something reliable. So things need to have substance. They need to have thingness to them to stay, to be permanent. Right. And um, so these three impossibles are three impossibles. Yeah. So what happens now? And immense restlessness arises, which is the ninth fetter. Mm -hmm. And the restlessness starts searching for something, for something to hold on to, to stand on, for a safe ground, for something to be reliable, for something to feel good, please. You know, I had yes. already seen that, that what is simply is, and no matter what I try to add, nothing is ever added. And uh, still, this tendency to always feel good arose again. Like saying, mm -hmm. I don't care whether it's possible or not. I want to feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and because nothing can be found that provides that, there is no thing that's substantial and reliable. Um, we simply invent something. And that's the first very subtle sense of I am or I exist. Mm -hmm. It's um, in Germany, we have this translation, which I like a lot. It's me deeming. It's, it's like thinking there is a me. It's very subtle and it would dissolve. For me, it was like a very well-known taste. I have known consciously for, I think since I was seven years old or so, the taste that was me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sometimes even had a bad taste in my mouth from myself when I did really bad stuff. So, right, right, right. I, yeah, I, I do, we do remember, I think most of us remember that time when we had that uh, awareness 
I'm me. I'm I'm something other than these other things mm. out here, right? Right. And and then that that's once you got that, you're you're <laughs> that's where you're stuck. <laughs> well, the subtle sense of me, the first kind of seed would easily dissolve if it wouldn't be supported. So this me right. then is equipped with the faculty of perception. That's of at the core of its coward desire for the formless. But it's not right. some people say it's desire for formless absorptions, the jhanas, but it's not. It's the desire um, to what to think what is appearing is perceived mm -hmm. inside with the subtle sense of I am an inside and outside is created. And it's an outside world that's perceived inside and the outside world unfolds in space and time. And, uh, uh, in a, and we pursue it in our limited consciousness. And that's the seventh letter. Then, okay. um, then we assume a subject that is experiencing what is happening. It's the desire for form, the next fetter, the sixth, and the desire for form, assuming a subject creates this impression that there are borders between the things and between me and everything else. Right. And then we want... That creates the subject-object duality right. that right. really causes all our well a lot of our problems yes right? and then <laughs> we want these objects or, or we reject them mm -hmm. further establishing a kind of borders and things being outside of ourselves and imagining we could be in control of what's happening right attachment and craving <laughs> right and then um since whatever we try, we still don't get what we want. We call in <laughs> higher powers with rites and rituals. Rites and rituals are the third fetter, design of the life four and five. And now this calling in of higher powers doesn't work either very well. And so um, we doubt whether what we believe maybe in the wrong gods or whatever. Yes. And in the end, the self-illusion is established, which seems to be totally in control of what's happening. Like, I think, I decide what to think. I um, act, I control, I experience, it's me experiencing everything. It's my feelings. Uh, I'm the owner of all this, my body. And that's the end of the result. And that one can be pretty stable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it always needs to be kept up and everybody will recognize the restlessness because just sit down for two minutes on your sofa doing nothing, <laughs> not even meditating. Right. What happens? Something <laughs> wants to be done. That's the yes. restlessness. This is a house of cards that would just fall apart if it wouldn't be kept up all the time. And it takes a lot of energy to keep it going. Yeah. So you... You work with your clients now. You you said there were seven steps, and mm -hmm. then there the ten fetters. But the seven steps are to release the ten fetters, and that's right, what some you guide fetters them fall together. The first three fall together, and four and five fall together. 
you know, a lot of this reminds me of the five hindrances that we study in mm -hmm. Mahayana Buddha, Buddhism, you know, the doubt, the restlessness, the ill will, the mm -hmm. desire, all that those are the, the things that keep us from meditating. But then again, in this process, like meditation isn't the thing. It's the it's the inquiry that's the, the thing, right. right? To get to where they are. So the only meditation I recommend for this inquiry, I call come to your senses. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's why I, I like that because it, it that rings a bell for me. I mean, we're on the same wavelength, but I always say, you know, it's just, it's really just about things as they are. Right. You just it's just about things as they are, and there you need to have like an active acceptance of things as they are, not a passive acceptance of giving up. Okay. The, oh God, this is how they are. It's it's this is things as they are. But to me, one thing that I'm not hearing you talk about, and I, maybe it's in there because, like I said, I am not a Theravadan scholar. I don't really know this. I'm I'm not Pali. I'm Sanskrit. I'm not. You know what I mean. Um, so, but one of the things I'm not hearing you talk about is dependent origination. We seem to be, you seem to be focusing on anatta and shunatta. Again, here's the Sanskrit, but you know what I'm talking about, which is no self and emptiness. But then the dependent inner, dependent origination, uh, impermanence, those, those two overarching things, I know those are like, the substance behind the ten fetters, but do you talk about that in your well, guidance? Um, dependent origination is another concept that is seen through in the seventh fetter when time and space fall away. For dependent origination to be true, there needs to be a concept of time and place. And the Buddha himself said that there is a space where dependent origination does apply. Yes, and then it's one of his later teachings right. too. He talked. I mean, he blew that right up. That's what people have a little problem with this because he's there, there all these teachings, and then there's another teaching that says, "Forget everything I just said." Right? Yes. <laughs> because the Buddha talked to people. I talk exactly. to people too, and I'm. I will tell them something like when people start out, the first thing they learn. You can see this journey through the fetters on so many levels. You can see. It's like they are learning that nothing has substance and we start with thoughts because about everybody can see that whatever I think of is not really there. And I have right. some nice experiments for that to find out. And uh, um, still thoughts make a pretty good case and that do seem like what we think of is there. Um, but that's the starting point. Yeah. And... Now, I, I tell them everything else, what is experienced with the senses is actually there. I call it real, though I don't do that any longer, but I call it actually there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, there are always some people who say, well, but that's not true. Nothing is really there. And that's true. There is no thing there, but yeah. you can't see it straight away. It's not possible. You really have to unpeel it, otherwise it's, the layers are too dense. They can't be seen through in one swoop. Um, they can maybe, but the records I find about that are pretty rare. And uh, so dependent origination falls away. It's actually when we have final questions for each fetter. We are a team of several guides who work on that. And uh, mm -hmm. 
And the final questions we ask about what dependent origination means now in the seventh feta. Okay, <laughs> good. Because that's what I was wondering. Because to me, it's like that's that's where I started getting my realization was, you know, it was those three concepts. It was dependent origination. Because a dependent orig origination is actually what causes ignorance, right? It's that's what uh, the 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 twelve limbs is are, are like. That was like the recipe for ignorance, right? Right. That's that's how we got. Right. Here. That's how right. we got here, right? It's like you, you take a little of this. You take a that's the twelve limbs. A little of that, a little of that, and what do you got? You got a bunch of ignorant people, right? And I don't mean ignorant like dumb. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Is is that's just we're grounded in ignorance, and that is our sort of in our inheritance as as human mm -hmm. beings and it and it and it builds on itself and 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 it's a habit right it's a habit and if you were to believe in multiple lifetimes it would be a habit that transferred from lifetime mm -hmm. to lifetime not that i'm not i'm i'm sort of a uh agnostic when it comes to that but 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 i i i i definitely see the ingrained mm -hmm. habit of of that of that ignorance and that's that's a hard thing to a hard thing to break so yeah dependent origination and i wanted to touch on that in light of what you you've been teaching um you know here we are and especially also i wanted to tie it to your friend death um here we are in this pandemic and how are you doing by the way i'm doing fine thank you I I forgot to ask. <laughs> I usually start by saying, how, how are you getting on with this? Are you getting on all yes, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's hard. And um, I think it's, it's, I, I think it's, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity in this time of the pandemic, if we are spiritual practitioners, because it illustrates interdependence in a way that nobody could have illustrated interdependence and it illustrated the lack of our free will if you will um in a way that nobody could teach the, as the as as much as the world is teaching us or or whatever this little bug this little virus is teaching us so what i wanted to say is like you said that you know death is not a probability it's a it's a a realistic possibility and and it never as we never know when it's going to come and we never know what's going to cause it but we have to to make friends with it what do you think are the core spiritual lessons that we can take from the pandemic and i'm sure you've thought about this well I mean, situations like this are really why I do my work. My mission is to end suffering. And suffering can be ended. We don't have to suffer. Yes, I would prefer to be out more in nature. Usually I live in a travel trailer all summer, which obviously isn't possible mm -hmm. right now. And right. But um, suffering doesn't have to be involved. And, you know, um, I had pretty bad symptoms like three or four weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think. And uh, I was really short of breath walking on uh, very plain grounds here in the park. And I thought, no, this Ooh. is getting weird. And I have a little device to test my blood oxygen and it had really dropped to a level where you get concerned. And um, 
And so I called a doctor and they made a test and I thought, okay, I might have got it and I'm in a high risk group just because of my age. And, uh, and uh, okay, I'm already a little bit, uh, how should I say fireproof because I had another cancer after the end of my journey. But it was like, yes, that could happen and it would be just totally okay. I could die. So you felt you had that direct experience looking at it in the face in the in this pandemic, yes. in addition to your yeah, cancer right. experience. And you're totally at peace yeah, with it. Because there's nothing yeah. left that could die. Nothing would change mm -hmm. apart from the sensory mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And what about the and I know we should probably end here. I think we're getting close to an hour, but what about the, um, how do we help people who aren't there yet? Right. Who aren't, they haven't unleashed from the fetters that haven't realized this, this, the sense that their, uh, their self isn't what they think it is. And that really is nothing that they should be hanging on to. How, 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 how do you help people who, are just walking around everyday people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the first most important advice I would have is please do not try to take on an enlightened perspective, like trying to see everything like a movie or it's not real or whatever yeah. kind of spiritual arguments might come into your head. <sighs> we can't brainwash ourselves into awakening. It's not possible. That's like spiritual Absolutely. bypassing, right? You've heard that term? Absolutely. Yeah. I see it a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually talked to a lady um, who had a very stressful situation. And see, she tried to detach from it and landed in a very bad space. That's what happens then. You land in a very nihilistic bad space where nothing makes any sense any longer and there's no purpose. And you could just be dead. But it's a kind of right. resignation dead and not, yeah, that could happen. And right. so um, my most important advice, don't try to bypass it. If you're feeling bad, you're feeling bad. Uh, we yeah. can't escape what's there. There's nowhere to go. And <laughs> Absolutely. No. And um, it's really important to acknowledge the feeling and feel it with kindness and not beating yourself up for the spiritual teacher on YouTube said, oh, it doesn't matter to her now, even I said it. But to me, it does matter and it's really bad. And I'm like, my skin is itching to get out of this house. And um, <laughs> me, yes, see, see, that's the thing. I think that those, that needs to be said. This, this, this experience needs to be embodied, right? I think it, we need to feel it. You know, the only time feelings, um, the only time we cling to feelings is when we don't let ourselves feel them, right? When we run away from them or spiritually bypass Absolutely. them or whatever. And the feelings that are around this pandemic, my experience has been, it's it's like grief. You know, grief is like a big mess of things and you never know what's popping up next. It's depression and anxiety and fear and anger and all these things are going on and they're they're just a big mess oh, yeah. and um 
right you know and and i think they 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 need to be felt and they need to be talked about um and one thing about it is that um when when you when you you can look at these things straight in the eye as things as they are then i think that's a step along in the in the practice yes the secret right? is i tell you i work so much with emotions and i'm traumatized and i had worked to work through all the stuff on the path there is no way around it awakening doesn't mean no. you get an easy pass on that and everything will be fine and you live happily after ever after it just doesn't happen that way yeah we have to go through it and this is with every feeling and yes in this pandemic what's actually happening is people are really grieving and grieving has four stages first is ignoring mm. what's happening Elizabeth mm. Kubler Ross talked about that. And right, uh, Kubler Ross says yes. it, right. And then it's anger. You don't want to want it, you just want it to go away and you fight it and you think it's all bad and all the uh, measures that are taken and you have to stay at home, you just fight it. And then you, you become depressed and that's normal too. Just allow that to happen. Just let this have its life cycle so it can finish actually. And yes, it's sad that we have to be so confined and um that's how it is and just feel that too it's really sad maybe you can't see your oh and, and the sadness of all the people dying and suffering yes. and being alone i mean yeah, that's unbearable yes. sadness for me and i think i'm most taking people. care of my brother who's dem has dementia it's a nursing home and he's there now basically on his own. We found a way that I can visit him because he has a balcony. So I stand under the balcony and then we talk. <laughs> yes, but my mother-in-law has dementia is in, in a, a yes. facility and uh, uh, my partner, she goes, she goes to, I, I have a autoimmune condition. So not only am I old, I'm, I've got double risk. So I don't take any chances, but my partner sneaks to the back of, the nursing home and goes to my mother-in-law's window and holds up signs and talks to her and oh, dances right. and <laughs> stuff. But it's hard. It's that's, that's still hard. very hard. It's I hard. The pain. And also yeah. not seeing maybe your grandkids. We have little ones in the family yes. too. And we're just talking via Skype, but they're not so used to talking like that. With kids, you need to interact to be in contact. No, they start right. running away, right? They start getting their toys and, and you're not really interacting at all. <laughs> and uh, so, and after the sadness comes the acceptance. And I would just yeah. invite everybody to allow all that, to allow yourself to be angry about it, that just don't act on it, but feel it. Acting on it only yeah. means you're trying to avoid to feel it. Just allow this feeling of, ah, oh, I so really want to, get out of here and um and when the sadness is there it's all right to be sad it's okay to be sad just it's okay to pamper yourself and know this is not the time where you have to take all the immeasurable opportunities of so much time and hustle and create something <laughs> new and clean your house or Marie clean your Kondo, house everything <laughs> um whatever yeah. you know you don't have to do all that just take care that you get through this and if you're not feeling well then just don't do so much and then maybe um your house isn't as clean and your garden isn't 
little mod. The land is in mode. And and it's just like mm -hmm. that. It's um we have a nice cake. We do that sometimes. We have a French bakery not so far away. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, it is the time to pamper ourselves because it's, you know what it is? It's the time to send meta, you know, the meta prayer. It's, it's the time to send meta. In meta, we send meta to ourselves first and then to all others. And that's such a good teaching because right now, if we we can't help anybody if we're like drowning in depression and sadness and anger. Um, the only way we're going to get to that acceptance level, I think, is is by babying ourselves and taking care of yeah, ourselves. Yeah, and letting yourself go through the different emotions of grief. Right. Ignoring what's happening, which you see a lot still around, even on the leading levels. Yeah. And then um, the anger about it. And yeah. who did that? And all the theories about yeah. oh, and conspiracy theories yeah. and protests, and oh, and, that's... and that's the anger about it. It's yeah. really the anger, and then the grief. That's fine. That's a more mellow state, but it's probably the most uncomfortable one. And and then the acceptance will set in. Now I love research, and so there is some research on dealing with emotions. They found out that if you feel the feelings, really, really feel it. And I'll talk in a moment how that I feel it's, it's done best. Um, then a feeling will end within 60 to 90 seconds reliably. Wow. You don't have I didn't to. know that fast. I've yeah. seen it happen in me, but 60 to 90 seconds, I don't yeah. think so. That's great. So what I teach people is, um, just allow the feeling to be there and whatever it is. Maybe you're angry. You're really angry. So feel the anger. And then uh, a feeling are body sensations plus a name. So there are body sensations and a name is given, which in this case would be anger. Now, which body sensations are there? And then you feel the body sensations and they are fine. Allow them to be there. And even let yourself sink into them like into a warm bath and just sink into them and relax into them and let them be there and whilst you're in there find out whether they are unpleasant or pleasant or neutral yeah yeah and are the sensations themselves angry do they know about their name <laughs> feeling the sensations like that they will pass very quickly that is so true. I've had that experience uh, with pain uh, due to my lupus. I have a lot of pain mm -hmm. um, or I've ha had a, right now. I'm feeling pretty good, but um, I've had it. I remember telling someone this, actually one of my teachers who couldn't believe it. And I said, I, I can sink into my pain so much that it, it, it just becomes fascinating mm -hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't scare me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I get you. you there's the curiosity about exploring bodily sensations mm -hmm. is very helpful mm -hmm. you know Absolutely. very very you know what i find especially interesting about pain i um when i started right after the gate i slipped in my bathtub and broke a rib oh. and, and it was really painful to breathe and the painkillers just didn't do much and so i thought okay while well, i'm stuck with it i might as well look into it and um, so i focused on the sensations and in the end, I couldn't even tell whether they inside my body or not. 
I know. <laughs> it's yes. If if you do that enough, you you can't find the end of yourself. No, your your skin no. doesn't contain yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so good. I'm glad you brought it up. I know we're running kind of long, and I hope you have a little time. But because I wanted to ask one more question, do you have time for one more question? Yes, sure. Oh, okay. This um. I know, and and I touched on this at the beginning, and I said we'd get to it, so we're going to get to it. Um, you know, awakening is such a buzzword. Um, enlightenment is a buzzword. Nirvana, not so much. People don't use it so much anymore. But in this culture, in this time and place, awakening, um, we even had that word. We have that word now. She's woke, you know. She's woke, um, and and he's woke. This that's I, I don't know if it happens in Germany. It's all over the place here. <laughs> It's ridiculous, but I well, when they're using woke, they're referring to someone who has a perception of social injustice, uh, climate, uh, rea- the reality of climate change, and that's that's what they're referring to be as woke. But I still think I still have trouble with being awakened or enlightened now. In my understanding of the Theravadan tradition, and this is where you're going to have to clear me up, when someone goes through the 10 fetters and releases them completely, they become an arahat. And mm-hmm. and that means they're fully enlightened and they're not returning. Okay? Yeah, now, I can't speak into that because I don't have experience with other lives. Well, see, no, I don't, but I don't either. But what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. would you, This this is sort of a, a poo-poo in many circles. Um, when you say you've broken the 10 fetters or when you've taken someone, they've broken the 10 fetters, what you're, from my understanding then, then therefore, right, the the the, the, the logic that follows, therefore you're saying that you're fully enlightened, right? Whatever that word means. I can't identify with it. Um, uh, you have to understand that I don't have any sense of identity at all all so even saying i'm enlightened would be ridiculous because there it doesn't um this attribute what is the eye anything what becomes very clear after the tenth fetter is that the work is done this is it a client of mine calls it it's i'm unpacked there is nothing left i'm unpacked it's like unpacking a suitcase and you know when it's empty and uh the Buddha said that the final knowledge arises that it's a long sentence, but in the end that the work is done and that there is no more coming into being. And this is one of the final questions right. for the 10th fetter. What does that mean in your experience? And this knowing that there's no more coming into being is a very clear, but from the experience side, <laughs> when I saw uh, through the 10th fetter, there's a shift in nearly each fetter except the ninth. And I saw that everything had just always been this way, no matter what I had thought. And I had been like a fish swimming the seven seas in search of water. It was a joke. Yeah, right, it was right, a joke. Right. There is nothing grand about yeah. it. You don't acquire anything. On the contrary, you're standing there with gloriously empty pockets. And it I remember that feeling after like two minutes, a sense of total ordinariness set in so ordinary. I've never felt like that in my whole life. 
I, I love that you said that. And I saw that that was in your seven steps or whatever. Um, uh, the ordinary getting that. I think that is the thing that I've always tried to express. Now I, I don't use the word awakened or enlightened, but I, I always say I have glimpses mm -hmm. of that. I, I, cause I don't really, I'm not really sure what that means anyway. So, so I just say I had these glimpses where that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nothing and there's nothing out there. And I, that there are glimpses. Now, I mean, I go around every day mm -hmm. doing what I do and having, having my to-do lists and, and, and making podcasts and thinking about things. So I'm not thinking about that all the time, but I can switch into that. So what I'm, what it is though, is that ability to be a no self in a non-world while you're being ordinary. Yes, right? I, I'm not even a non-self. It's not that a non-self is kicking around here. There's just nothing. No, that's just that's this nothing. is really shunyata. Okay. This is emptiness. And There's total uh, emptiness, right? I don't have a sense of a body either, which can be quite um, interesting when you're sick and don't know, am I sick or not? because there are just sensations uh -huh. and they don't tell me whether I should see a doctor. And my partner sometimes tell me, tells me, she says, then I want to take you to the emergency room now. And then I go because I know she mm. sees this now. I, I can't feel it any longer. You mean you don't have pain? Yes, but much reduced. That's really very nice. Very, it's very reduced. It's oh, a very nice feature. Yeah. It's very ah, reduced. Okay. Mm. So that's, uh-huh. That's yeah. very interesting. Well, I think the promise we hold though, from your experience and how you teach is, is that, uh, you know, you, 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 well, now you can't go anywhere anyway, so it doesn't much, <laughs> but you don't have to, you don't have to trek to India. Right. Um, and you don't have to sit on a cushion for five hours a day and you don't have to give up all your belongings and you don't have to, renounce the world you just have you can still be in it right but but the being is just being it's not right you being. it's just it's, it's just it's being. being and um being even sounds the trouble is the moment we use a word we think it has substance it's something it's not something it's, yes uh, yeah it's my teacher yeah. says Every, every time, every time we want to lay, we want to put a period on, on everything. And that means once you use a word, it's there forever. And there's right. a period after it, it will never right. change. And right? so I call it no attribute isness. <laughs> I, I like it. Okay. But it feels uh, um, completely but, ordinary. And if any teacher puts up a huge show, just run, 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 um and, uh, yeah, go yeah, to a different yeah, place. Exactly. And it's I mean, I was a bit disappointed. I could have done with a few fireworks, but uh that's not how it is. It's really just an ordinary person who's done their work. That's exactly the sense. Yes. And um there is nothing grand about it you don't gain any faculties you didn't have before and you're not losing any either it's just like um seeing everything with a clean lens there is no dust any longer mm -hmm. and 
That's yeah. the difference. It's a vast difference. And it really gets rid of all suffering. There's just no resistance left to experience at all. And I don't have to think myself into that. It just doesn't come up. So I don't yeah. have to yeah. work well, on you... this to keep it going or, or to come into this state. It's just spontaneously there. It sometimes drives my partner crazy. Like she says, okay, what would you like to eat? And I said, mm. Uh, I basically eat anything. And uh, and she said, could you just make up your mind? And so now I volunteer <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's just, it's it's the, it's when you were not clinging and grasping, which are all the 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 the, the you know the the contributors mm -hmm. to suffering. You know, like the like the four noble truths. Um, if we're not clinging and grasping uh, to a self or to things or to to things we want, um, life gets to be kind of it's neutral, but it's not like no fun. I mean, it, it, life gets to be kind of neutral and you, you quit shooting yourself with that second Absolutely. arrow that Buddha talks about. And you know? It's really true what one of the patriarchs said, when the mind is at peace, the world is at yes, peace. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. true. And that's what we should do. We should wish uh, peace to everybody. I mean, because that's what we, can, what, what, what we can offer is if, if we glimpsed it ourselves, then we know it's possible right. for every, every, everyone. Right. I'll, what and it can even be there all the time, like like uh, the bass tone in music. On the organ, you sometimes just put your foot down and leave it there, and then you play something on top of it. It's something like I that. I like that. I so like that. This, for me, it's the most important feature: the stillness or peace. Yeah. Now, um, I want to end by asking: you have a book, and it's going to be really. It's not yet. Oh. I'm editing it. It's so much work. I just can't rush this because it's supposed to be instructions that people can use through all fetters to help themselves through yes. it. I actually had the idea when I had my second cancer a year, two years ago now, and it was uterine cancer. Oh. And, uh, and that, you know, that didn't faze me at all. I was so surprised. I was ready for all the fear coming up again. I thought, now let's see. And nothing happened. It was like, oh, Okay. And I came out of it feeling like I hadn't suffered a scratch. Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. That was very impressive. I'm happy to hear you're well. This, yeah. That was all worthwhile. It really. But the, I hear you about the editing. I just released my first book uh, last November, November, 2019. Yes. I, I, it took me a year to, to write, but the longest part was the editing and I hated right. every minute. And I had a friend who's an editor who edited it for helped me edit it. And mm. I honestly hated her throughout the whole process because it was, so, it was, <laughs> you found another thing. Oh no. You mean that doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, um, so I, I absolutely get that. Um, so I can't plug it yet, but we will. Yet. Yes. Yeah. I just received an email saying, all right, this is the extended notes on the first six chapters. Oh, oh, I know. I know. I really, I, I really had a really, I had a love relationship with the book until the editing started. And then I hated the whole thing. And, and I mean, there were times where I thought I wasn't going to do it. I thought this is going to be a book in my mind. And I, and I never promoted it yet because I kept thinking I may not get through this editing phase. So I hear you. <laughs> I, 
I will, but it's really quite something. The good thing is I translated a book already from English into German. And so I kind of know this process. And I know that it has an end at some point, even though you mostly <laughs> feel, well, this is just kind of want to be one of these unfinished things. Yes, I thought mine was too, but it, it's actually, I'm going to promote it for you. See, it's actually a book now, Everyday Buddhism. Oh, nice. So, Beautiful. It's actually a real book. Um, and it, and it's and and I'm starting a second one, but only in my head. We're not there. Mm -hmm. So, but <laughs> thank you so much, Christian. I mean, I just love this conversation. I told you we were going to go way too long. I probably could have talked to you three hours, but um, we'll do it again maybe sometime when the pandemic's over. Or so. that would be lovely. Yeah. Oh, yes. definitely when your book is released. How's that? When you get. Oh, yes. When wonderful. you get through editing yes. hell, you could contact me. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I will. Say, thank you so much, Christiana. You have a wonderful day. Um, enjoy your pandemic and uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Yes. Thank you so much for this lovely interview. It was beautiful. And we'll talk again and stay healthy. That's it for this episode. And as a reminder, don't forget that there are many ways to join me and others in either our private donation-supported Everyday Sangha happening every other week on Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, or our new free Open Sangha every week, alternating Tuesday afternoons at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time with me, Wendy Shinyo hosting, and on the following week, Wednesday evenings at 7.30 p.m. with Levi Shinyo-sensei um, hosting. Until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and all others' days better. <laughs> <laughs>